0: 12,000 years ago, and North America is covered with megafauna and the animals that ate them. But all these years later, do these extinct animals linger? Welcome to Podcast Wild. I'm your host, M.K., and we'll be covering just about anything to do with outdoor sciences. Today's episode is Ghost Predators. Don't worry, this isn't anything paranormal. It refers to a theory about evolutionary pressures. To fully understand, we need to go back to the Pleistocene Epoch, which lasted about 2.6 million to 11,700 years ago and examine the predators that existed during that time on North America. There were animals that are around today, like the wolf, brown and black bear, coyote and cougar. There were also short-faced bears, cave lions, and the North American cheetah. It is not directly related to the cheetah, but its form is very similar, except for being, well, bigger. Then again, the Pleistocene's model pretty much was bigger is better. Of course, all these predators had to eat something. Some are now extinct and some are extant, or alive today. For example, during this time period, there were 14 types of antelope. Only one of these remain, and that's the star of our show today. Pronghorn are the fastest animals in North America, having been clocked in at speeds of upwards of 60 miles per hour and for long distances at speeds of 30 miles per hour for over 20 miles. As the name suggests, both male and female pronghorn bear a backwards curving horn with a forwards curving prong. They weigh 90 to 150 pounds and are roughly 3 feet tall at the shoulder. They currently live in the North American West, particularly in dry, open lands where they can forage for grasses and sagebrush. The pronghorn's only main predator is the coyote, which goes after the young. But by the time they are an adult, nothing can really touch a pronghorn. A cougar's top speed is 40 to 50 miles per hour, but this only lasts for short ambush bursts. Wolves are at 40 miles per hour, grizzly bear at 35, black bear at 30, and coyote at 43 miles per hour. As you can see, nothing today can catch these 60-mile-per-hour guys. So, why are they so fast? It is Dr. John A. Byers, from my alma mater, of the University of Idaho in Moscow, who comes forward with the theory... After studying the pronghorn at the National Bison Range in Montana, he saw several behaviors that pointed to ghost predators. That specific selection can continue even after the driving force is gone. The first clue is herd mentality. Despite having really no predators aside from humans during hunting season, pronghorn will still gather in herds. Typically, this is a bonus as more eyes mean a predator might be spotted. And if there are more bodies, a pronghorn can spend less time being vigilant and looking for predators and more time actually eating. But with no threat, this really doesn't provide a bonus. Now they get none of the benefits of being in a herd with all the drawbacks like disease spreading and competition for food and potentially being injured in squabbles over pecking order. Secondly, is that unmatched speed. As I mentioned earlier, nothing can really catch an adult pronghorn today, yet they maintain their great speed. To achieve this speed, the animal's body must be shaped in a certain way. Because of this focus on a speedy body, they lose on other options. For example, they have long, thin limbs for speed, but that means they are more fragile. Also, all that running is energetically expensive, and running that fast can really eat up the calories. Yet despite this cost, they continue to run even when they outpace every other predator. Their speed, however, is closer in line with that North American cheetah of the estimated 60 miles per hour and the cave hyena who clocks in at 60 as well. Another clue ties into the herd mentality, specifically body language and pelt coloration. Like white-tailed deer, pronghorn have a white tail and a rump. They raise the hair on their rump as an oh shoot sign to all their buddies that something scary is about and that they need to run. This racing flag cue for that flight response is not really needed as they don't need that head start that they once did. Lastly is the sexual selection. Pronghorn, like many animals, practice polygamy, meaning one male with a bunch of ladies. When it's breeding season, a male will corral a harem of females. Females will often break off to entice her man to chase after her. Just like some human women, female pronghorn like to play hard to get. If he is fast enough, thus fit enough, You'll be able to catch up to her and herd her back to the rest of the harem. If not, she'll race off until she's corralled by a male that is fast enough. The females are picking fast males to make fast kids. This is because speed was how they survived. Their speed was a measure of fitness. Other ungulates, like bull elk, will grapple with each other using their antlers. Their strength is a measure of their fitness instead. Today, there really isn't a reason for females to pick a fast male. Instead, this is leftover from the past when they had an arms race with the Pleistocene predators. Pronghorn aren't the only animals that have predator poltergeists. Dr. Richard Cross, a behavioral ecologist at the University of California at Davis, found that despite being free of snakes for 70,000 to 300,000 years, California ground squirrels, when introduced to rattlesnakes, seemed to recognize them. Instead of just disorganized caution, the squirrels approached with caution, threw dirt, and fluffed up their tails. Another example is brought to us by Dr. Susan A. Foster, an evolutionary biologist at Clark University in Worcestershire, Massachusetts. She conducted a study of sickleback fish. Populations of these fish have been isolated from the sculpin, a predator to both juvenile and adult sickleback fish. Immediately, these sickleback fish exhibited a typical response, where they swam behind the sculpin and started nipping at its fin, carefully avoiding the mouth. Lab work seems to also back up the idea of fears of the parents can haunt the descendants. Dr. Carrie Reiser, a neurobiologist and psychiatrist at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, conducted a study on mice and epigenetics, how nurture and nature combine. They exposed the mice to acetophenine, a chemical with a scent likened to cherries and almonds. The mice were exposed to this cherry almond scent while being shocked. After a while, the mice shuddered when presented with the scent. Even when they weren't shocked, their offspring, despite never smelling the chemical before, shuddered when introduced to the smell with no shocking. Their trembling was more so than the controlled group. Even the grandchildren of the test mice reacted similarly. When looking at the brains of these mice, they found that they had more neurons that produce a receptor protein known to detect that odor. Structures that receive signals that detect and send smell signals to other parts of the brain, such as those involved with processing fear, were also bigger. So what does this all mean? If you want to get all philosophical, this means that actions have lasting effects. In the science world, it means that reintroduction of species may be easier than previously thought, that other animals in the ecosystem may retain behaviors in relation to the reintroduced species. That way they aren't just thrown into the fire, as it were. Well, I hope you aren't too haunted by ghost predators. If you are interested in examining this further, I posted a link to my sources as well as a few links on estimating speed of extinct animals on podcastwild.weebly.com. That's p-o-d-c-a-s-t W-I-L-D dot dot com. You can also find us on Facebook as Podcast Wild. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for learning. We'll talk to you next time on Podcast Wild with Episode 2, Baby Cannibals.